0: Well, if your child were diagnosed with a congenital defect of some kind or even a disease, the people around you would instantly understand that it's time to give you extra support, maybe extra grace at work, maybe bring a meal to your home, maybe offer to, you know, pitch in on a babysitting afternoon or something like that. We have these habitual ways that we support families when a child or even a parent gets ill. We really do not have that when the illness or the problem or suspected problem is in the mental
1: health space. Hello, and welcome to Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD, a podcast about health and wellness within today's healthcare landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Friesen with Kaiser Permanente, and I've been working in healthcare for over 20 years. During that time, I've learned that the most powerful tool for healing is the power of listening and the value of asking the right questions. Come join me as we'll together explore timely topics that impact people, businesses, and communities. Now let's check out today's view. Children's mental health affects working parents as well as the family. Marty Post, Executive Director of the On Our Sleeves Movement at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, recently joined me to talk about ways to help break stigmas and start conversations that encourage positive actions to support children's mental health. We discussed staggering statistics, social drivers of health, the way kids' mental health is affecting parents and their productivity at work, helpful prevention resources for kids and their working parents, and how employers can do better. Listen to this episode to understand the role of employers in helping parents thrive at work and home. So really, first of all, thank you for joining. I'm very excited to have you. And it's such a rich subject right now. But as I was doing my research, I also found that you individually were very interesting. And so if you wouldn't mind, just given a little bit of your journey to actually where you are now, maybe if you don't mind sharing your, your personal life, you interned at the White House, for instance, and then how you ended up at On Our Sleeves.
0: Oh sure. Well, thanks for having me, Dr. Deb. This is really exciting for me too, and for on our sleeves. I actually have a marketing and strategy uh, career background. About 20 years in uh, different marketing agencies after my White House internship, which was in Hillary Clinton's press office and was very exciting, and I learned a lot. And then I went into, you know, graduate school and and my marketing career and did a lot of consumer insight work, finding out what people are most interested in. And then began to lead teams that were working on different areas of strategy, like social media and analytics and different elements of that, and then full teams. And it was really, it was when I was in charge of a nine-person strategy team at an up-and-coming digital agency, and I had two young kids, one of whom is what I would describe as fantastically neurodivergent, but I didn't even know what that was yet. And someone asked me to do a conference presentation about being a working mom, but to all of my marketing expert peers, not to other moms, or maybe perhaps to other moms, but it wasn't a mothering conference. It was a professional development conference.
1: And why were you asked to do it? What did this person know that you were a great speaker, that you had a passion for this, that you had a kid that was beautifully neurodivergent? Why you?
0: Uh, Good question. I I was a founding member of that particular organization, and we had talked at length about what the motherhood piece was like for us in in our career. And and so she said, I, I think you should get up at the conference and talk openly about this. And I, my first response was, well, that's ridiculous. That's career suicide. Nobody wants to hear the way someone's trying to manage their personal and family life with their work life, because then everybody will know that it's all just a, you know, put together with masking tape and Elmer's glue. I, I really felt very vulnerable. And she said, if you can't do it with your you know, level and years of experience, who can? And so it put me on a journey toward telling the truth about what life and family intersecting with career had been like, not just for me, but as I began to talk to other professional parents, I learned that the journey I was on was far from unique. And I got to where... I was able to design workshops and other types of talks about those those two things intersecting and ultimately went on to write a book about the idea of how you support modern parents with outdated support systems, which is very common in the Western world, and then developed workshops and programs for employers to really help them support their working parents and ultimately made the shift to my own business through that process. And On Our Sleeves called me, I am local to Columbus where Nationwide Children's Hospital is, and On Our Sleeves called and said, we need to design a mental health education curriculum for working parents to deploy via their employers. And I said, hey, I have been doing that
1: for three That's years. That's what I'm thinking listening to you. It's like, <laughs> yeah. how would you never heard of each other before then? <laughs> <laughs> Right. And at the time, this was close to two years
0: ago now, and and we were still figuring out what the pandemic meant for all of of these different areas and avenues of, of the working world. But one thing that was very clear was that the employer is a powerful place to intersect with parents and caregivers for a whole variety of reasons. One is simply the amount of time and access that you invest in that. But also in our country, many people's health insurance benefits are connected to their employer in some way. So it can be a really great avenue to help us reach parents. And from the employer's perspective, you have a subset of your employees who are parents of children under 18. But then you have all your up and coming employees who will or may become parents someday. And then you have parents who maybe their children are past 18, but still on health insurance dependent coverage or grandparents and other types of caregivers, you know, foster parents, aunts and uncles, who, frankly, I can tell you from my work in my own consulting business are at times dumbfounded at the way we are raising children today. <laughs> yeah, And
1: I think that it's also and where do you find resources, I think, is the other big thing. It, it might be I think that people feel really isolated even before the pandemic when there were problems because there has been so much stigma that's still associated with that, even if you can really articulate it to yourself, there's still a the question of, and what do I do with this? Who do I talk to about it? I think the work that you were doing previously, even before On Our Sleeves, was, well, let, let's, let's at least talk to each other. And now you were recruited into an organization that is really about educating the whole workplace in that space of having the conversation in the workspace amongst people, but also how does that help them be different parents when they go home? So is that really, did I summarize the work of On Our Sleeves in the right way there? What would you add to that?
0: Well, I would add that what we are trying to do in this employer and workplace vertical, we are also trying to do for teachers and educators. We are exploring ways to do for primary care providers and pediatricians. We are almost off the presses with a way to help with this for youth sports coaches We're really committed to leveraging these types of resources for community organizations where they might have short-term or seasonal staff interacting with kiddos and needing a bit of a baseline on on how to help with some basic mental health literacy and vocabulary and um, triaging in a way. And so our resources are free on our website, and we are hoping that eventually every community in America gets their hands on what we are providing so that the adults who surround our children at home at school you know in their on their soccer fields in their extracurricular programs even in their doctors offices are all starting from a baseline of open education about mental health topics rather than a baseline an erratic baseline of Maybe it's a stigmatized thing. Maybe it's not. When we don't have the skills to handle that in a consistent way, we revert to the way we were brought up. And that's not a consistent model we can apply. So we want to make sure that every community has access to these resources so that they can all start from a place of understanding.
1: And, and speaking of understanding, let's back it up a little bit so that we've got some kind of common language understanding of really the problem that we're facing together. You know, this has always been a problem, but I think that the pandemic has really taught us it's the company's success really lies in the ability to see the employees of actually having a work and home life, right? That They are 24-hour people. It's not that you are this person here and that person there. And that they really have to see employees as whole people, support them through that entire journey, and how everything is really overlapping. And there was a phrase that came up as I was looking at your organization, looking at youth mental health, which was hiding in plain sight. So tell me what that refers to.
0: Well, if your child were diagnosed with a congenital defect of some kind, or even a disease, The people around you would instantly understand that it's time to give you extra support, maybe extra grace at work, maybe bring a meal to your home, maybe offer to, you know, pitch in on a babysitting afternoon or something like that. We have these habitual ways that we support families when a child or even a parent gets ill. We really do not have that when the illness or the problem or suspected problem is in the mental health space. And we also are starting to unpack more and more the mental wellness and mental illness spectrum and understand that children are on that spectrum at different points, just like adults are. And so that's been why it's. It's hiding in plain sight because we don't always include children when we talk about mental health as if they are sort of going to hit a magical age and then develop mental wellness and mental health and mental illness, you know, options. And it's not really that way. We we are seeing that as young as the first newborn visit, having a psychologist along with a pediatrician in an integrated
1: primary care model can really make a big difference. Yeah, and even just looking at some of the statistics recently, this is from 2021. More than a third, so 37% of high school students, reported poor mental health during the pandemic. 44% persistently felt sad or hopeless during the past year. Continuing, suicide rates among children 10 and older have climbed significantly since 2007. It's now the second leading cause of death among 10 to 24-year-olds, behind unintentional injuries. And it's the highest suicide rate in wealthy nations data suggests that one in five young women, one in 10 young men experience a clinical episode of major depression before age 25. I think that as an internal medicine doc, I took care of adults, of course, and so had a lot of education about children, but not for years, have my own children. There were categories, right, that you think of mental health and and adverse childhood events and what they're risk for, and it's really ADHD and can you medicate, but really identifying that These things are anxiety or this is depression. It's not just acting out, it's skills, it's development, it's hopelessness, it's all of those things. And then the other thing that just struck me, there's one child psychiatrist available for every 15,000 youths under 18. So we have this thing that's hiding in plain sight. It's incredibly prevalent. And yet we don't have a lot of resources in order to really address what's going on. We saw social isolation, difficulties with remote learning. My goodness, I was so grateful to not have little kids during the pandemic. But man, what I saw as far as the effect on my high school kids was heartbreaking at times, seeing the isolation that they were having around that. And so all of those things together are adding up to this crisis And I think that there was actually a national health emergency that was actually declared last fall regarding this. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yes, it has reached a point where it's coming more into focus, more into plain sight, thankfully, at a national level, which is a good first step toward making sure that we do send the resources where they are most needed. One of the things that we heard loud and clear was that there will never be enough treatment providers we have to work not only on the care side of the spectrum, but also on the prevention and promotion side of the spectrum so that we can start to build capacity within young children for withstanding the the day-to-day stresses and struggles that come along with, you know, human life in the modern world. And that will hopefully put us in a place down the road where it's easier for everyone to understand this is a stressful situation that is, you know, acting on this particular child or family versus this is or could be a clinical situation where we need to pull in some professional help. And right now, we know that that journey from the first time the parent, you know, engages in a questioning you know, visit or, or research moment to getting a diagnosis can sometimes be years for children. And part of that has to do with the fact that their brains are still developing. So, so trying to navigate this with someone who is still growing and changing, it makes it incredibly complex.
1: So I know that during the pandemic, one of the things that On Our Sleeves did, I think it was in conjunction with Nationwide Children's Hospital, was actually a pretty significant survey, really wanting to understand children's mental health. And they talked to hundreds of working parents, really trying to understand how this was affecting them. But not only how this was affecting them, but how is this affecting how they're showing up at work? What are some of the learnings from that study?
0: We actually had the opportunity over several waves of research to talk to thousands of working parents and leaders and executives and we heard that parents are very concerned about their children's mental health and that that concern is, you know, rising and and increasing as the pandemic wore on and as the restrictions wore on. So many of them were having a first-time concern or had developed a concern, you know, right around the, the time we were surveying, which was the spring of 2021. We also found that even when parents are at work, 30 to 50% of their mental mind share is on something to do with their child's mental health or development. So the distraction of that concern is very real for many parents. And, and the survey was across part-time workers, full-time workers, many different industries represented. So we were really careful to make sure it wasn't just the people who have the luxury to be worried What was very interesting though, is the level to which it disrupts their work. That is where we did see some differences. And I think that has a lot to do with parents who have the types of jobs where they can exercise that flexibility or they can act on those worries during the workday versus the types of frontline jobs or parents of color who don't have that same opportunity in many cases. And so it's unequally distributed in terms of how much disruption did it show us in the data.
1: And such an overlap between mental health and speaking specifically of children right now and social drivers of health, right? So just like we see in adults, other illness and what's driving chronic illness and healthcare costs is also, you know, do you live in a place where there's a food desert? Do you have green space around you? Do you have psychological safety in your school or with other adults? And so all of those things adding up to, again, Showing up for work, but maybe not mentally showing up for work a lot of times. We, one of the things I read, six in 10 working parents reported being very too extremely concerned about their child's emotional health. Sixty percent of parents are really worried about this. And you're right. It's not something you can just put in a package and put on the shelf when you go to work. You carry it with you. And then they're worrying about keeping their jobs and performing at their jobs. And is their spouse going to keep their job? And what's happening in this economy? So much happening. And then the other thing that struck me as what was identified was, and we kind of talked about this earlier, is, and what do I do with this? Where do I go? And I believe that the uh, survey called it the confidence gap.
0: We were really curious if a parent felt confident in handling these concerns for their child or for their family did that release them from that distracting feeling at work? You know, was there a point where the parent felt like, okay, I've got it. I know what to do. Let me be here in this setting for the next, you know, six, seven, eight, whatever hours completely here. And then when I go back over there, I will be able to just pick right back up where I left off because I know that it's going to be okay. I know that I have the skills to handle it. What we found is that parents whose child who reported their child had a more significant mental health concern or who were feeling more interrupted by that concern were in a, we, we actually moved them into a separate segment of the data. And what we found is that their measure of parenting self-efficacy was lower than the parents in the control group who weren't feeling as interrupted and who were not as concerned about mental health issues at home. And so what that tells us almost is the reverse of what we were looking for. But nonetheless, it shows us it is connected that the child's mental health state and the parent's feeling of being an an efficacious parent are connected. And what we're doing now is studying the next step of that, which is, is it connected to their productivity and their perception of their employer?
1: And everything feeds into each other, right? So if you're taking your concern about your child to work, you're also taking your concern about how you're showing up to work back home. And it becomes kind of a vicious cycle. And I know that the purpose of On Our Sleeves and a lot of other interventions isn't just to identify. It's not just to give information or do the research. It's actually to intervene, to bring some solutions in. And you actually had in this report, I saw a lot of advice around, again, how employers can help, because that was the audience that you were trying to identify as we live a third of our lives um, in this space. And so maybe can we start thinking about how employers can actually help their employees and, by extension, the children that are affected through this? It's
0: interesting. Some of the recommendations that we made, which were based on the data we were seeing and some of the interviews and conversations we were able to have with working parents, some of the most powerful recommendations are the simplest so when a, when a company offers mental health benefits or coverage, along with physical health benefits and coverage, simply mentioning them in the same breath, the same PowerPoint, the same open enrollment or onboarding moment helps to create an environment where they are seen as the same idea. Well, they live in the same and body, right?
1: I have a mind, I have a body. It's all under the same skin. And it's so interesting that we've separated it out. but. I love this idea of let's remove that whole stigma by just talking very matter-of-factly about it.
0: And when there are leaders in the company who have personal experience with a family member or a child having a mental health concern, and they are taking a little extra time or moving through their work week more flexibly, when they go ahead and explain that, it creates an environment where everybody is understanding that, oh, this is something that happens to all of us, which is true. Uh, can happen with all of us. And it's something that is okay to use my benefits for this particular purpose, whether the benefit is a formal policy or it's an informal flexibility. So the idea that it can come from the leadership is also something simple, but profound in a way, because it starts to shift the culture for parents inside the
1: organization. And I love that you said that because it's not just up to the individual As we think about the spectrum of need, sure, there's some things that the individual can do. But as uh, Dr. Christina Maslach, you know, she defined burnout. This is probably a part of it when we think about work-life balance. And she just really started the whole conversation that this is a systemic problem. Finding this balance, being able to bring our whole selves to work so that we can deal with the challenges at hand. So are there any policies that you would recommend that people look at not just changing the culture but maybe benefits or policies at work that are helpful?
0: Well, we know that federally speaking mental health benefits are supposed to be at parity with physical health benefits. One thing that we are starting to explore is parity good enough because the way we treat the mental health continuum which runs from, you know, wellness and and prevention all the way to crisis, is automatically different than the way we would treat certain physical ailments in the sense that perhaps we need more time for intake, perhaps we need more frequent touch bases and appointments, perhaps we need a different model of intervention or we need a different way of empowering the caregivers to help with interventions. And so if we just say, it has to be the same as physical, medical, then maybe we're not taking it far enough. So we think that employers can play a big role here by coming back to their benefits providers with some questions about how can we do better on this? How can we reframe this so that we are not necessarily mixing what can be apples and
1: oranges? And you know, through the pandemic, as I talked to, chief human resources officers, other leaders in that space, what I found very interesting was the shift from equality and benefits, one size fits all, or maybe you can choose to, you know, maybe there are different needs amongst different ages, i.e. Gen X is different from Gen Y, different from millennials, different stages in life, different circumstances, and different challenges that people have. And I saw a real shift to things being again equitable instead of equal. So I love what you're saying about you know what Parity might not be the thing that we want to stop at, but a follow up question to that do we really have parity yet?
0: Well, it's interesting you're asking that. It's something that Nationwide Children's Hospital is also asking. And since we are connected with them through our behavioral health expertise, we are going to be part of their own investigation. And I think it's critical that organizations and employers ask that internally. And I like what you're saying about the ability to customize what works for people throughout different life stages, because there's a whole new emerging category within human resources of family benefits providers people who are helping with the parenting journey or the caregiving journey. So you've got, you know, Village and Maven and Cleo who are out there saying there are people within your employee population who need these types of benefits more than they might need a direct deposit or, a, you know, a, a 401k match at this phase of their life. And so I love that idea of being able to customize it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And some other programs, you know, I know that you all work with schools. That's been a focus, of course, of Kaiser Permanente. And I think initially it was, again, like a lot of folks, how do we help the youth? But then that became a real, and how do we take care of the people taking care of the youth, right? And there's so much even there as far as removing stigma, having the conversation with each other, providing the resources that people need along that spectrum of mental health as well. So I know that you actually do some formal programs through On Our Sleeves as well, which I find just really rich in having the conversation, adding to education. And so I just want to give you the opportunity to talk about Bloom, I believe is what the program is all about.
0: Thank you for that. This is one of the things we're we're so proud of is our curriculum for parents. It's called Bloom, Supporting You in Growing Kids' Mental Well-Being and it is a digital program that we are offering through employers to go directly to the working parents within their employee population. It's something that parents can access online at work. They can access it from their phone at home. They can take short digital courses. They can download tip sheets. They can get referred out from the course platform to great content at onoursleeves.org that has to do with whatever topic they are interested in. And very importantly, it includes some interactive modules to help parents understand where they and their family might be on that mental health continuum. So we think of families who are in the category of flourishing and thriving and wanting their kids to just learn a bit more, perhaps, on resiliency or gratitude or something like that. Then you have parents who are actively managing a diagnosis for their child and a resource plan and trying to bring all that together. And so in that track, you would find modules like how do I balance work and therapy?" And then we have a short module for parents who are worried about a crisis situation for their child. And it's meant to very quickly direct those parents to the next step resources. And along the way, we are adding to the content four times a year. So we're consistently creating new courses, shooting new videos, bringing in new resources and downloads for working parents knowing how busy they all are. And our hope is that employers will join us on this journey so that we can ultimately take some of that distraction away from their leaders and their employees and allow them to be their whole selves all the time.
1: Hey, I want to, I'm going to give you a difficult question just to set it up. Thanks for the welcome. So we want to help parents help their children. We want to help children. Sometimes parents are the problem. There was a survey done and some of the youth, actually more than half, 55 of those surveyed, reported they experienced emotional abuse by a parent or another adult in the home. This includes being sweared at, being insulted, being put down. 11% reported physical abuse by a parent or another adult in the home. Hitting, beating, kicking, physically hurting. So does the work that you do also help to elevate kind of the insight and understanding that maybe it's a whole family dynamic that's actually at play in the mental health of the youth that are showing up? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure.
0: We have a, an employee mental wellness program internally at Nationwide Children's and On Our Sleeves. And the director of that program told me very clearly in one of our first conversations about this this effort that often dysfunction in the home shows up via behavioral challenges with a child, whether that's at school or with friends or over Zoom calls during the pandemic. And so the children are, in a sense, the bellwether of how mentally healthy the overall family unit is. And Dr. Ariana Howitt, who's our clinical director and who ensures the evidence-based backing for everything that we produce and publish, she has said that when you have a child involved in a therapeutic intervention, it's always family therapy. It's not really child therapy until they reach a certain age. And I think that that's an important thing for families to keep in mind, not only from an awareness perspective and a simple literacy and vocabulary perspective on how can we all get to talking about this. If I'm going to talk about anxiety in my child, should I also then explore anxiety or or depression in my own self? but also to prepare parents if they take their child to a therapist or a psychologist or the pediatrician about one of these questions. It's not like my child has an ear infection. Let me have an antibiotic. It's very different. It's a process and it will pull the family members in at times if done well. And so resetting on what quote unquote healing or treatment or addressing the problem might look like and how it might impact the whole family, including things like, you know scheduling emotional and mental stress. I mean, there are a lot of considerations and we've tried to put as much of that into our effort in bloom as possible to help parents be prepared
1: for it. So I'm going to ask for some advice for someone who might be listening today, who might be aware of a colleague who might be dealing with it themselves when they're concerned about a mental health issue in their child. How do you support a colleague that might be facing that challenge?
0: Well, one of the most important things that we can do for each other is practice reflective listening for a parent who is in really any kind of distress, whether it's you know financial or their child has a physical ailment or a mental health concern. And I think also we can listen for clues that the person might be trying to tell us something without really saying it out loud. So to our point about stigma... When we hear that, you know, my child has a doctor's appointment and we hear that every Thursday, <laughs> Yeah. maybe we can say, you know, hey, hopefully your kid is getting what they need and start to address this with a curiosity and an empathy, knowing that some parents may come right out and say, thanks for the avenue. Thanks for the opening. I've been, you know, I'm struggling and some parents may never do it. But the other thing is, if you have gone through any of this. You've been to a family therapist or you've had your child tested for a learning difference or a mental health condition or all of the above to go ahead and normalize that and say, you know, I remember when my child was that age or in that grade or in that development age. And we went through a whole lot of stuff, some physical, some emotional, some behavioral. And just open that door a little bit so that just the way we talk about, oh, my gosh, you're potty training, we're potty training and it's a nightmare (laughs) or sleep regression. Let's all talk about that. Right. And so we want it to become that common of a discussion. And I think, well, the data very clearly showed us that the workplace is still a, a tender place to have this conversation. You know, people would rather tell their friends, their family, their clergy leadership than they would tell their HR person or their manager. However, if you're going to need flexibility from work and you're going to need to amplify and and, uh, leverage those benefits, then this has to be a place where we get rid of that stigma as soon as possible.
1: And do you think the stigma is the stigma of mental illness per se? I, I said illness in quotes. Or is it my child's mental issues are a reflection of me as a parent, that we actually blame the parent that they're not doing things right, they're not being the right resource for their child. What is that whole kind of resistance about in this realm?
0: We actually just repeated our survey with many benchmarking similarities and some new questions. And we asked more directly about stigma, including what does your cultural upbringing indicate to you about these types of topics? And do you believe that a child's behavior or mental wellness is a reflection of parenting and home situations? And what we are just now starting to see as we get into the analysis is that there are differences in terms of who feels that burden. And so we think now that stigma is made up of many different facets, some from family of origin, some potentially from culture, some from, in this case, employer culture. You know, I like to say that if the policy says you can leave early for a doctor's appointment, but you get the side eye from everybody on your way out. Then the culture is trumping the policy yep. in that yep. sense of you're knowing this is not the right thing to do, but but they said I could, right? So what we see is that there are many facets to the stigma, and sometimes it's so unconscious that we don't even realize what's bringing it up for us. So it's, again, awareness building within all of us to start to be conscious of, gosh, I'm having a really visceral reaction to explaining something about my child or, or our situation. And why is that?
1: I always like to ask, is there any other question that you wish I would have asked you or any other points that you wish had come across during this conversation? A beautiful question.
0: One of the things I would say is that On Our Sleeves is really focused on bringing this conversation to the national level and having a coalition of people come together, experts across all kinds of fields to start to address this, which is why we are leaning in on multiple verticals. But in the meantime, you can sign up for our emails, follow us on social, visit OnOurSleeves.org to find free resources right now today that can possibly help you. One of the things we've been doing in in 2022 is called Operation Conversation, and it's about how to have a check-in with your child on their mental and emotional wellness. And what we have learned is that parents feel pretty good starting that conversation. What gets hard is the next round of talking when the child responds and you think, oh, I really wish I had thought this (laughs) through before I opened this up, you know? So we actually have a four step guide on our website because we understand that, you know, the second and third rounds are actually the critical ones. Right. But at the same time, we have a deck of conversation cards that you can get your hands on that will help you normalize emotional topics in your home so that if and when it slips to a point of we need to talk now more about a bigger stress or a pattern that we're seeing it doesn't feel so out of left field. And I would say this is one of the things that I needed when I was raising my kiddos through some of those early years. I remember one time reading a really helpful parenting book. I just thought, oh my gosh, this is it. I'm going to do better. And after about a week of me attempting these techniques, my daughter looked at me and she said, why do you keep talking like a book?
1: (laughs) Because I am talking like a book. This has been helpful for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is from page 47. Why do you ask? And they really do have an amazing radar for that. And On Our Sleeves has worked so hard to make these topics approachable and kid-friendly for those reasons. So I think that's the last thing I would
1: add. And, you know, just even as a parent, one of the things I found is it's one thing to ask questions when you're looking into each other's eyes, which is just so much less comfortable. And it's another when you're actually looking in the same direction, i.e. taking a walk together, sitting in the car, just having that unstructured time. And and that was kind of my my secret way of starting conversations that didn't feel like interrogations in that space as well. So you already mentioned it, but I just want to remind folks who are going to listen to this onoursleeves.org. So go there. And then the other thing I just want to, and this is from your website. If you or your child need immediate help, if you're having suicidal thoughts, yes, go to your local emergency room immediately. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1 800 273 8255, which is 1 800 273 TALK. And there's also a crisis text line that you can actually text 741 741. Just text start and you can start that conversation we want to, again, address that there is a whole spectrum and there are mental health emergencies that need to be addressed in addition to having the conversation and extending that in both the work and the home. Marty, you're amazing. The work that you and On Our Sleeves is doing is amazing and so sorely needed, unfortunately. But thank you for bringing this work into communities, into workspaces, into conversation, and I really hope that someone has a different conversation with their own child today. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks to my guests for joining me today, and thank you for listening to the Health Fuse podcast with Deb Friesen, MD. I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation, and we'll share another episode of Health Fuse with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The discussion reflects the opinions of the speakers and is not intended to represent Kaiser Permanente policy. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals.